0: As we're live, welcome hey. everyone to another episode of the Rocket MSP Podcast. Today, I am joined by Jason Cohen. Jason, how you doing, man?
1: Very, very good. How are you today?
0: You know, I'm doing pretty well. I uh, let's see. I, I've had like eight meetings so far today. Um, you see, the funny thing happens when when you put it out there into the into the ethos, and you say. Hey, I'm looking for someone to do a podcast episode, and you put that up as a public post on LinkedIn, you get a lot of responses. It's crazy how that works, right? So um, so, so I've had a lot of meetings today. Uh, I have a lot tomorrow, Friday, as I just have conversations with people and make sure that they're a good fit for the podcast. You've been on. I know you're a great fit, so I didn't even have to vet you at all. Isn't that great? Well, it's always fun doing these. I enjoy them a lot. I really do. I well, I know. Uh, I'm I'm a pretty big deal. So uh,
1: <laughs> that's why you're getting all these people asking to do podcasts.
0: Oh my gosh i good. i I like to I like to act like I'm a big deal, but I assure you, I'm not. <laughs> so for those of you that have no idea what's happening. Uh, Jason here is with Mission Control Help Desk and Knock. So, Knock and Help Desk. It just feels more good or the other way. <laughs> so, so you have a, a Knock and Help Desk service. You're, uh, you're right down the road. You're in, you're in Canada, the honorary 51st United States.
1: Yes, and thank Lord it's getting a little bit warmer. Uh, we're starting to yeah. – the, the snow is gone. We put our penguins away for our, you know, and the igloos are, are melted, so we'll have to – That's good. We get to enjoy the spring now, which is nice.
0: Well, so here in Ohio yesterday, uh, it was 70, and I had the windows down, the, the moonroof open, uh, love and life. Today the high is like 42, and tomorrow it's going to snow. I am not kidding. Uh the the forecast is Ohio. Like <laughs> So um I'm I'm glad that that you're getting some some good weather. That is really exciting. Uh and we'll have it soon. Just a few months maybe. Um All right. So I've I've had you on before. I mean, it's you know, it should be no surprise to people that have been watching these for a while. Who you are, what you do, what Mission Control, uh, the the goal is, but you know there there may be some people that have no idea who you are or what you do. So we're we're going to talk to those people for a, for just a few minutes here. Um, so so Mission Control, you started as an auto task only help desk and knock, correct, and now you're not, correct. Um. So, what what services do you support these days?
1: Uh, yeah, it's definitely grown. I mean, obviously, AutoTask and Datto came together in 2018, so that kind of changed things right away. Um, we were AutoTask exclusive, so an MSP had to be using AutoTask PSA to be a client with us. Uh, that later expanded to be uh, that they could be using AutoTask or Connectwise. Um, for those that don't know, a lot of uh, Datto partners when they when Datto and Autotask were a separate company and Datto was doing just backup stuff, um, the majority of their clients were on Connectwise. And so when when Datto acquires Autotask and they say, well, you know, if you're Autotask exclusive, you're saying no to probably eighty percent of our clientele. That was no good. So uh, the integration that we have with Autotask, we expanded to support Connectwise. Um, that's been going now for the last couple of years. Uh, great move for everybody. And then most recently, tomorrow the official launch announcement goes out for the launch to be integrated with Synchro MSP. So very excited about that. Big day for us tomorrow. Yeah, it's good. Long time coming. Um, So, and in RMMs and documentations, uh, you know, those are the other things people will ask about. As long as those things integrate with either Autotask or ConnectWise or Synchro, which is what our major integration is, we're good. We've got great relationships with major vendors that are out there in the space um, in both RMM and documentation. So we're in a good place.
0: Very cool. So how how does your how does your knock help desk kind of work? Um, is it per user, per client? Well, we do
1: a lot of stuff. I think, oh. you know, I think that <laughs> I think, you know, mission control's goal is to be an extension of the MSP's business. Right. If we're doing mm-hmm. that well, we are succeeding. The concept is if an MSP is looking for daytime, if they're looking for overflow, if they're looking for after hours, evenings, weekends, holidays, if they're looking more server support, which would be on the NOC side as opposed to help desk, which would be more the user support, that's really, you know, that's up to them. And obviously the different services are done different ways. But I would say one of the most unique things that we've come to market with is a pick-and-choose, mix-and-match approach, which is really unheard of. You know, most of our competitors that are out there, they will – they either may only do NOC or they only do help desk. Sometimes those are in different places. And most of the time when you onboard a customer with them, you have to onboard the whole customer, and the whole customer has to be kind of the same service level. Um, so when you ask me about how do we do it, the coolest thing is this pick-and-choose, mix-and-match, because we don't require MSP to onboard all their customers. And when they onboard a customer, they don't have to even onboard the whole customer. They could onboard certain devices or certain users or be serviced by time, which is how usually an after-hour scenario works better because it's way more effective cost-wise for the MSP. So we've come up with some pretty creative ways to make it not too complicated but super flexible, uh, which gives the MSP, frankly, a lot of cost savings compared to our composition.
0: That is very cool. Um, so how exactly does it work? Like, um I just, uh, what do I email you guys anytime I have a ticket that I need you to work on, and just forward you the the tool or the the, the ticket details, or how do, how do I do that?
1: So the integration is is a great question. Thank you for asking it. It's the integration is a game changer because nobody else in the industry really has anything like this. Because we're integrated with the PSA, which again means AutoTask or ConnectWise, and as of tomorrow, Synchro, um, things can happen in a much more automated way. Um, if there is a client that an MSP boards by device and a ticket gets generated in the PSA for that device, which, you know, that can happen by RMM alert, it can happen by contact if it's an end user sending in an email, it can also be done manually. That ticket will have the right properties, and our bridge, which is what we call our integration, our bridge will recognize that that ticket is for an appropriate contact or device and it's going to synchronize that ticket to us. I'll talk to you about that in a second. Um, and we do the work, but that ticket comes to us automatically. When it's a time-based service, um, now we have to be a little bit more careful because we don't want the MSP to spend money unnecessarily on tickets they didn't want us to work. We will actually be a resource in their PSA and they can just assign us, just like any employer or staff member, to a ticket. As soon as they attach us to that ticket, basically what they're doing is saying, Mission Control, work on it. And our bridge, again, will, will bring that ticket over to us. When I say bridge, that's our integration. And what the bridge does is it creates a real-time, live two-way synchronization relationship for a ticket that we work. So when our bridge is looking in the MSP's PSA for a ticket that meets the right criteria, like the the right device, the right contact, the right time of day, maybe it's something that's been assigned to us, but basically when it finds the right scenario, the bridge triggers and it creates a two-way synchronization relationship for that ticket. And anything that happens to that ticket moving forward on either side, get synchronized in both directions in real time as it happens. You think about things like status changes and time entries and notes and attachments. Those things get synchronized in real time as the work is done, and it shows up in the original ticket in whatever queue or board or dashboard that ticket lives in, in the MSP's PSA as it's done. So the MSP gets full visibility, and it also allows for, to answer your question, a variety of different ways for them to to get tickets to us. It can be done by device, by contact, by assignment.
0: I like it. I hope I didn't um,
1: to it too quick. There was a lot there. I'm sorry. I get excited. No, no.
0: I mean there there is a lot there, but I I think it's you know, it's digestible. It's easily digestible. Um, all right. So do you do you have any investors today or is it one hundred percent Jason Cohen? Like how does this work?
1: No, we're getting into it. No, it's it we're entirely private. There are no investors. This is this is us. Um, and I, and I think, you know, I don't want to be corny about it, but I think that really makes a difference to not only a lot of our partners, but the way we're viewed in the space, you know, we're, we're the only ones that aren't funded and we're the only ones that aren't either, you know, in the public, uh, you know, a public company or, or really with investment on the large side. And so because of that, we're able to run it, not just the way that we want it, but the way we think it should be run. And frankly, we run it like we would want our MSP to be serviced. Um, on previous you know, stuff we've done together, Steve, we've talked about how mission control before it was mission control, we ran an MSP. And a lot of the way that we built mission control is to address the way that we feel an MSP should have this type of service. And mm-hmm. we really take that MSP mentality all the way through. Like even our senior level techs that we hire here, they can't even get a job here unless they've worked for an MSP at some point in their career. Because we're going to act as an extension of an MSP company and what we do, the more we think like an MSP, which is how our clients think, the better the service is going to be delivered to the end
0: user. That's, that's the goal, right? That's really awesome. So, um, so, so I feel like you've got a a few different like roles within the company. So you've got obviously the techs, you've got the managers uh, of the techs, you know, each, There's probably pods and then those pods have a, a, some type of boss. And then there might be a boss overseeing all the pods, right? And then you've got like this, the service and client side stuff. So that the people that make us, the MSPs happy that we get to interface with. And then you've also got the developers, the, the people that, um, work on your bridge. Uh, and then finally there's, you know, the, the C-level vice presidents, you know, whatever, all those all those people, right? So uh, are any of these people not actually employees? Are they 1099 or outsourced or any of that?
1: Well, in Canada, I guess the 1099 compatible, but they're all staff. They're all employees. We never subcontract. I say this on our calls a lot of the time, but we never subcontract um, our technical team to different parts of the world. We're entirely North American as far as the technical service goes. But we're all, like, the entire company is here, right? Um, I think there's one exception to that where we had a staff member who used to live here move, but we kept them on. Um, okay. But, you know, the, I live in Toronto. That's where our company is based. Before COVID, we didn't even let people work from home. They were side by side with the rest of their teammates. These are, whether they're part-time or full-time, they are employed by us.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. Now, Toronto, that is. Oh, Okay. That's that's like I call it in the in the weird little hook going around from Niagara Falls, so that's like not super far away from me, which oh. which is why I assume that's that's why you guys don't say like a after every other sentence, which I mean that's awesome. Um, so <laughs> how many times do you hear that one?
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I gave you one earlier because I already did the penguin and the igloo. You, know, mm-hmm. you, went, you went right for the A, and I should say a boot, and uh, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. You it, right? No, that's di- that's a different part of Canada, though, right?
1: It is very much like the US. Different regions will have different accent or way of speaking, um, right? I suppose one of the reasons this works really well is no matter how it's done, English is the primary language here, and that's you know really the main focus for a lot of our clients that are looking for a service like us is they, they want people to sound and speak like they do and like their clients. Right. So we're able to do that. Even if I throw in the occasional a, it'll still come yeah. out. All right. And,
0: and you know, if you do it just right, you'll just sound like Fonzie. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> God, I hope you know who he is. Um, all right. So do, do you guys like store any data um like I, I know that you've probably got, you know, the the ticket information and the notes and that kind of stuff. But you know, there's also passwords and screenshots and screen videos and and all that type of stuff. Like, where does that get stored?
1: Yeah. So I mean, but just like any MSP, we're using those services. So if you think about tickets, where are they stored for us, we use AutoTask internally. AutoTask cloud based service. The stuff is stored in there. We use IT Glue. Uh, that's where a lot of stuff gets stored in there. Um, you know, we have, uh, when we use remote connections, uh, obviously our, we're dominantly using the MSPs, RMM to do remote connections. But when that fails, we also have our own instance of uh, ConnectWise Control, formerly Screen Connect. That's cloud-based, so we're using those services. So pretty well everything that we've done um, is to utilize services that MSPs are already using because they already trust the encryption, the privacy, the you know, those kinds of things. And we're trying to use, and I'm sure we do, use best-in-breed Everything the same way an MSP should.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're using you know all the all the names. You check all the boxes there. Uh, so let's talk data sovereignty. Um, there are some businesses that you know, they just want their data here in this country, and you know you're in Canada and I'm in America, which. Is weird because we're all in North America, so aren't we all American? But Canadians get really mad at me when I call them American, let me tell you. So anyway, uh, <laughs> all that to say, if I were working with uh, some type of, of corporation or agency or whatever, and they require data sovereignty, do you have the ability to keep all of that stuff in the U.S. somehow? Well, not
1: just in the US as well, because we're a globally servicing company. We serve, I mean, we service Australia, North America, Europe, the UK, as well as obviously the Americas. Um, And one of the things we've strategically done is to make sure, so IT Glue is a great example, right? So for for the rules between uh, Europe and North America, they're not allowed data transfer, right? I'm forgetting the term is slipping me right now, but the, the point is that they're not allowed to have that data transfer. It has to live over there. ITGlu has databases over there. And so that's where the MSPs that are over there will store their stuff. That's where our ITGlu instance is for the EMEA region. Same as in APAC, same as in North America. So we've strategically got our databases set up in a way where data doesn't cross we cross because naturally that's where our staff is, but data storage doesn't cross. And that, that's very important. GDPR, that's what I was looking for. So GDPR, we get to say that we, we are able to do that because the databases are, and the data doesn't leave. Even the terminal server sessions where we remote in to do our stuff, that's where like we have those hosted in those regions so the data never leaves.
0: And that was gonna actually be a follow-up question is what, theoretically, in my mind, I've never had to deal with this stuff, you know? So theoretically, my, my thought would be the computer should also be over there. So now the fact that you have, you know, terminal server or uh, virtual workstations, whatever you're using, I don't yep. care what, what system it is, but it's over there. Yep. So the only thing that's transmitting is this, the shell, like the screen. So
1: it's eyes to screen. That's it, right? And right. That, that we can't control as long as we're located here and not everywhere. But, it but that's
0: everything. But else. That's just eyes.
1: Yes. Like, yes.
0: It's not, it's not like you have to worry about employees installing some kind of no, screen I mean, recorder. The downside because... is,
1: exactly. But the downside is somebody going like this, right? Um, okay. You're never going to get through everything. It'd just be impossible. Right. But obviously sure. the way around that is agreements with your staff. And we have those two.
0: Good. So let's talk about compliance. Um Do you have any type of compliance that you guys meet today?
1: Yeah, the most common one that comes across is HIPAA, right? I mean, we do a lot of work for MSPs that have healthcare clientele, and HIPAA comes up. And, you know, HIPAA is a really good example because it illustrates well, right? HIPAA exists in the U.S. It does not exist in Canada, which means HIPAA cannot regulate mission control in any way because we're here. What we do is follow HIPAA guidelines. We sign BAA agreements for anyone who would request it because we follow HIPAA guidelines. And that BAA agreement says that we will extend the HIPAA approach and everything that is supposed to be regulated, but we cannot be regulated. So it's an extension of the MSP in that case. Um, And we do those all the time. We have to.
0: Okay. Um, What about the... like? The data centers where all of your stuff is hosted. I mean, if everything's in Autotask or IT Glue or some of those tools, so it doesn't sound like like my data is anywhere outside of those things, right?
1: Uh, correct. I mean, I would say again, we have our emails, you know, on Office 365. Office 365 is a good example, but again, same idea, and we're utilizing servers um, for our ter- for our virtual machines in places where the data lives. And those companies like Microsoft are obviously compliant with those regulations.
0: Yeah. So I was just, you know, I'm sitting here going like, all right, well, you know, do they follow all the NIST guidelines and this and are there's data centers, you know, SOC Type Two certified, but like, sure, because because IT Glue and Microsoft and whoever else already is. So you got it. We we as actually just to clarify, Mission Control is
1: not as a company SOC Two. Uh, we, I shouldn't say that. We've never gone through a SOC two audit, which makes us not SOC two. But everything we use, it has been and does, right?
0: Right. Okay. Let's two talk about. Later. Yeah, well, you know, just trying to keep you on your toes. Um, so, you know, a lot of MSPs like they love asking vendors these days: Are you zero trust or zero knowledge? And I feel like the answer to both of those are no, we are not, because you're not zero trust because you're not a security tool and you're not zero knowledge, because you literally have all of the stuff in your autotask and IT glue. So if uh MSPs are gonna ask that type of stuff, just don't, because <laughs> how's, how's that? I answered the question for you. And you did it well too. It Much snarkier than you would have. Um <laughs> And Okay, so is there any type of portal for us to sign into, like, a, like an MSP user portal?
1: Yeah, and it's very important. Uh, we have a portal, and keeping with the Mission Control theme, we call it Liftoff, but Liftoff is a website portal that our partners are given access to, and that portal essentially is what allows an MSP to manage their entire relationship with us. Okay. Because we're integrated, like you think about the, the old days or even, you know, some of our competitors still do this where, let's say, you were already working with a knock and help this company, you wanted to add a new customer, or you wanted to add some devices to an existing customer, you'd send in the spreadsheets, and they would review it, and they would do some testing in the back end, and then maybe there'd be some questions, and it would come back and forth. And eventually, you would get an email saying, you know, some uh, 20, 30 days later that, that that client and devices were live. Because mission control is live integrated from the time that you on board with us. In liftoff, everything that you do is done in real time. It's a major advantage, it saves so much time and energy. Um, And it makes sense in today's world to be fully integrated. If you wanna add clients and devices and services and manage things and add and remove and make changes, everything is done as it happens. If you wanted to add a new client today, that was in your PSA. As long as you were already integrated with us and had access to LiftOff, you add them in real time. You can obviously add them for a future date, but you can add stuff and play with stuff in real time. You can offboard stuff in real time. Everything is done in real time, which is amazing. But LiftOff, if you think about it, is where we the, the MSPs will manage their clients' devices, services, set business hours for customers, add like ticket instructions and ticket creation instructions, which may be different for a customer. But they may want us to handle the clients different ways or, or follow certain specific gotchas that they've identified that would be helpful for us to know. Um, setting up VIPs. They can set up VIPs for their customers. So when those VIPs call, they get treated like gold no matter what they're calling for. There's a lot of features in Liftoff, and it's a very important interactive tool. But the main principle is it's kind of the integration uh, piece that the MSP has to control what we do and how we do it.
0: Awesome. So what would you say you're doing differently to kind of, like, disrupt the marketplace uh, with your competition? And I'll name names because I don't think we're going to say anything bad. You know, there's there's companies out there like GMS, um, Benchmark 365, you know, Mission Control, obviously. I can't think of any others. There's got to be more, though.
1: There is. I could tend to, but I don't want to name them myself. You, you know who they are. Um, and to, to be honest with you, if you do your due diligence to look at what companies are out there that just do knock and help desk for MSPs, you're going to find this, you know, kind of on two hands. It's not a big number. It, uh, yeah, there really aren't that many. Yeah. Uh, to your point, I think for those that would look, I mean, if you look on the Reddit forums, the Google forums, the, the Facebook groups, the socials, all those kinds of things… Mission Control has managed to build themselves to be the absolute best reputation out of all those companies. And that's not because I'm saying it, you can find that. Um, I'm positive a lot of that is from our MSP mentality. I'm Mm -hmm. positive a lot of that is we're entirely North American. I'm positive some of that is because we do NOC and help desk and dispatch and projects all in the same place. I'm positive that the integration makes a massive difference because nobody else has anything close to it. Right. The pick-and-choose-mix-and-match approach we talked earlier makes a huge difference, very MSP-thinking kind of approach to things. Mm -hmm. Um, And, again, uh, this is kind of weird, but because you mentioned how the company's private and we kind of run things the way that we're supposed to, it's done with the right mindset, the right approach. I mean, even from a client success perspective and customer service perspective, if you ask any MSP partner we've had, had or have, if they've had an issue, how quickly we have jumped to try to remediate assist it it, that's that's our mandate to that team is to work as hard and as fast as they possibly can to keep everybody happy and you're not going to see that from all the bigger guys because i think frankly they're too big to do that
0: and you know my my next question was going to be what is your unique selling proposition but i think you almost covered that is there anything else you would add to that
1: no, I think, I mean, those are the real big points. As I said, the integration, the real time stuff, like picture yourself as an MSP, you've been an MSP, you still understand that life very, very well. If you hire a staff member or you outsource to a third party like Mission Control, you want to know that you can see absolutely anything and everything, whatever you want. You want to be able to be able to qualify and validate and and, and check everything, and you shouldn't have to... Ask for reports or wait days for things or wonder if they took a ticket or how much time they spent on something or if they're even working it. The real-time stuff gives you the ability to see all of those things in real-time as they happen. You used Autotask, if I recall, correct?
0: I, I have.
1: So in Autotask, just as a, it's an easy example, because that's how I think as we use Autotask as well, Autotask has widgets. And widgets, you can basically do real time queries on anything that you want. If you ever wanted to know how much time Mission Control spent on a week, month, per customer, whatever, if you set up a widget to do that, the widget is a live thing. It shows you up to the minute what we've been doing. Yeah. Having that uh, visibility and transparency with our partners is a comfort thing. And a lot of MSPs are not comfortable handing their clients over to an outsourced party or even a new staff member for that matter without having enough visibility into what's going on. That's there's a lot there, but it's important.
0: That's really that's really cool. So let's talk about. um, I I want I want to kind of take two different directions. So I'm going to ask you about some new things that you've got going on. But what I what I first want to find out are what are all of your integrations today?
1: Okay. Well, the the major integrations that we have are always the PSA side. If you think Mm -hmm. about. Uh, inside of a PSA, a ticket can get made in, let's say, four different ways. Um, an RMM go- alert goes off. Um, some, uh, an end user sends in an email to the support that automatically creates a ticket. Somebody manually creates a ticket. could be us or the MSP or some other integration, right? Those are the things that are going to make a ticket. Because our integration with the PSA means we're able to see the tickets, So long as the ticket gets made with the right situation of what our bridge integration is looking for, which is what the MSP asks us to look for and work on, it will find anything that is integrated in those scenarios with the PSA, which means that although we integrate our major integrations are the PSA specifically, that expands our ability to service all kinds of stuff. Um, You know, if I think about even something like the, the one that comes to mind is help desk buttons, right? So help desk buttons is we don't integrate with them but when they do their job it adds something in the ticket yep it's that simple so we're okay. going to get. So you any, don't any need R- to
0: integrate with help desk buttons because they're integrated with the PSA and if you program the PSA to assign those tickets to you then you'll take care of it
1: that's it think about RMMs right there's way more RMMs out there than PSA systems you have got your Ninjas mm-hmm. you have got your you know there's there's tons of them and all of those major RMMs have integrations into PSAs that do the right thing. They will make tickets under the right customer with the right device with the right issue types of issue type priority. It's all pre-programmed in that integration. So, RMM alert goes off, ticket gets made, we can take it. So the that because of the way we've done it where we we PSA everything, anything that integrates into PSA now becomes an extendable integration for us. Just phenomenal, right? The other thing that we do have a direct integration with is IT Glue. Uh, IT Glue we use internally, and there's enough, plenty MSPs that are using IT Glue as well. IT Glue has a service called Glue Connect, which allows yep. different IT Glue tenants to share things with each other with proper permissions, but without the need for a user license. Our goal is to have as many integrations as possible with zero cost to the MSP. Um, our relationship on the on the Autotask side, because we were Autotask exclusive before, and with Datto, etc. Um, the relationship is so good that they give data partners um, that free user license uh, for Mission Control's purposes. So there's no cost there. There's a single user cost license on ConnectWise. Maybe one day they'll let it go. Um, and same thing with Synchro. Maybe they'll allow um, Synchro users to have a free user license for Mission Control. Outside of that, RMMs, they charge per agent. It has nothing to do with us. Uh, documentations, there may be a license if it's not IT glue. But again, the costs are so low to get the integrations done, it expands our ability immensely hmm.
0: i like it now let's let's talk about some of the the new and upcoming integrations that you've got uh you know l- like you said you've got synchro dropping as as soon as tomorrow yeah what other ones do you have dropping so we built
1: the, the synchro one was obviously a major
0: one it was uh working for us for
1: a while we've been in beta for a while we picked, uh, we've already got some msps on it that were are willing to do it in beta um, but the announcement goes out tomorrow. Very exciting stuff. Um, the other thing that we announced was uh, actually – we haven't announced it strongly enough – is tomorrow as well we integrate our – we we announce our integration into Slack and Teams. It's a real-time IM. But it, it, I've, the way I've said it, it sounds too basic. So we use Slack internally. And Slack to Slack would be very easy. You can just set up guest <laughs> accounts, whatever. Teams to Teams is also easy, but we don't wanna use both. And frankly, there we've done a lot of work now in the community. Um, I don't know if this, some of your visitors may have seen our town hall announcements. We do these town halls for MSP, the entire MSP channel. We do a town hall every month. Um, and some of the stuff we've been talking about is, okay, if you've got Slack or you've got Teams, how can we make this in an IM environment? So what we've done is we've made a real-time collaboration integration between them where from our Slack to an MSP Slack, if that's what they use, or to teams if that's what they use. It's real-time collaboration, but it's actually almost in a triangle. If we're talking to them, it's a one, it's a it's a one-to-one. If the MSP engages us, let's say they have a question, it's a one-to-one, or if we engage them from our text to their team, it's a one-to-one. That's new. But the other cool part is within the integration we've also created a forum so MSPs can talk to each other. We've created a way that if our chat feature offering is used and some user chats us inside, which basically integrates with our Slack, we can bring an MSP into the conversation, which is very cool. We can also now leverage SMS um, and the future is uh, SMS two FA to the users who might call in and we need to validate them. So this whole Slack team's real-time IM doesn't really exist in the market except until tomorrow when we release it formally and it's awesome.
0: That sounds awesome. Now, I have... I have questions. Okay. Um, I'll do my best. I wasn't the developer on it, but I'll do my best. That's okay. I don't think they're going to be developer y questions. What if I don't want a knocker help desk, but I just really want to talk to you guys on Slack? <laughs> just because it's you. Just because it's you. No, but like, are, are you trying to turn it into a community? Like, a. Or, or really just, just a, a members-only club for mission control customers.
1: Well, that IM is just for mission control customers, right? But when I talked about the town hall, that's MSP channel-wide. We invite everybody and anybody. We did one yesterday. Uh, the conversations were, you know, topics everybody's talking about. They they were about staffing. They were about cyber. They were about um, integrations, tool stacks. I mean, we talk about anything. And we do them once a month. That's kind of a mission control give back to the MSP community. We just want people to get connected and be able to help each other. We have an MSP finder tool for our, uh, for our, for our partners that, you know, let's say you were an MSP located in LA and you had a client in LA that opens a satellite office in Chicago. Um, hmm. You would need an MSP potentially to do hands and feet uh, work on the ground in Chicago. And so it allows MSP uh, mission control partners to find others that want to participate in this to be able to help each other. There's no cost from us. We just, Facilitated. There's a bunch of community-related things that we're doing now to just, I guess, a, it's a brand thing, make Mission Control out there a little bit more. But for me, really, it's about giving back to the community. There's so many people that I think we can help in so many ways just by making things like this.
0: That's really cool. So, do you see your your company eventually taking this Teams Slack thing and kind of spinning it off as a product for sale?
1: I don't think that conversation has happened internally yet. I mean, I, I also think there's probably about seven or eight things that we could do with it that we haven't even thought of yet. Um, once you get those two tools talking, you think about collaboration and think about um, messaging and, and it, it's the, the when you had just Slack to Slack or just Teams to Teams, you were limited because of market share. Hmm. The two of those combined, I have to imagine are in the nineties of market share globally, for yeah. that kind of stuff. Right. And so now it's, you kind of take away the, um, the worry that we're missing a large group.
0: Well, and I, I guess what I'm, when, when I say, do you, do you see yourself selling it? Like what about MSPs that want something similar to that, but would love to be able to build uh, the integration between them and their clients and yeah. maybe some of their clients are Slack and some are teams.
1: So without giving too much away, and I do not it's certainly not a, a true thing yet, we're talking about it, but there are certain things that we've built, much like the Slack Teams thing, which really does need a better name than the Slack Teams thing, um, that we've thought about reaching out to MSPs and see if they have interest. One of the most important ones that keeps coming up is the system that we've built with our integration, but mostly it's about um, uh, how our team does not pick and choose the tickets that they work on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: there is a real problem in the MSP space where MSP business owners are seeing their technicians have a queue and they look at the queue. And although the queue is sortable by the date that and time the ticket was created, the technician works whatever they want. Um, and that's not the way that it needs to go, especially when SLAs are there ticket priorities are there. There's a lot of rules about some of this stuff. And so what we've already built for ourselves, we could um, – give that benefit to the MSP as an offering product. I just, I'm not sure if it's something that a, we want to do, but even if we did, I want to make it that I, I, you know, it's something that it needs to be released in the right way and with the right spirit. And I don't know the right way to do that yet.
0: That makes sense. I think I came up with the perfect name for it. The super mega ultimate communicator. Just rolls right off the tongue. Could you put the word rocket in there? No need. Okay. It's implied. Okay. <laughs> uh, what about, uh, so we talk about integrations. What about partnerships? Do you have any equal cool partnerships coming up with any other organizations or anything?
1: Um, not yet. I think one of the challenges is, so when we decided, so the Autotask first is where that started, we went to ConnectWise. Uh, from a market share perspective, it was the easy decision plus Dato really said you need to support ConnectWise, so that was easy. Um, looking ahead to future partnerships, where Synchro MSP being the next one, you know, Synchro, I think, has done an amazing job of disrupting the market. Uh, that's a word you use, and I like that word a lot. They've, they've made a lot of noise. Um, mm-hmm. And so we've been approached by others to say, you know, would we consider integration partnership with them? Uh, we have nothing set yet. Um, And I think it, I think those then need to be conversations with those parties to say, is there interest and what are your APIs look like? A lot of the challenge is maturity um, on some of these other systems, right? A company like Kaseya, as an example, I don't think is a good fit necessarily. I would, I'd welcome a conversation with them, but they, they have their own knock internally and they've got the 20, which is more of a, you know, Mm -hmm. they're, they're Kaseya focused, they're entirely Kaseya focused. So fighting them on, on relationships, I don't know if I'd bother with that. If I look ahead to other companies like Atera um, and uh, Halo, uh, both of which uh, they've reached out, um, but I feel like there's some maturity that needs to happen there, but I'd welcome the mm. conversation. So I, I'm I'm definitely open to this. I think conversations with, uh, you know, the big guys, SolarWinds, Barracuda, those can happen too. Uh, it's more about the spirit, and obviously we have relationships that exist, so we don't want to upset them. So
0: What about any, like... Um... Any other types of vendors? Like, are you doing anything with, you know, the the Robin Robbins or the ASCII's of the world or anything like that?
1: Yeah. Um, and thank you for asking. So, I mean, we already have formal partnerships like that. We have a, a, an amazing relationship with Robin Robbins Group at Technology Marketing Toolkit. Awesome stuff. Uh, we've got a promo with them. The Tech Tribe, uh, another amazing relationship. I, I I think what they're doing there is phenomenal.
0: Nigel's a cool dude, man.
1: I I, I I, I miss him because I used to see him at the Datto cons and events of the year and I don't see oh. him anymore because of, you know, but I really like that dude. Um, what I said, um, We did Try, we did Rob Robbins. ASCII for sure. So a uh, formal announcement went out that we renewed the uh, relationship with ASCII. Uh, great relationship there. There should be some good stuff coming out there. Um, I'm missing a very important one. Uh, Chris Weiser, seven-figure MSP. Great relationship there. Uh, MSP Ignite, great relationship there. Um, there's a bunch. There's actually, um, I should pull it up when I've got a second, but there's, um, there's, when you have those kinds of companies, including Datto, pointing the finger and say, Mission Control, these are the guys to use. It's a really powerful thing. Um, and, you know, Tech Tribe, uh, Robin Robbins, ASCII, Seven Figure, uh, MSP, um, those relationships are strong because we've done so, so, so well for their partners. And those partners are in those communities still talking about us. And it continues that, that strengthening of Mission Control's reputation. I'm gonna pull up that slide, just to make sure I don't miss anything.
0: Sorry, someone just asked, hey, I have some questions, but I don't want them to be public. <laughs> so I told them list away. So uh, those those may come eventually. I got a couple. Um, I found a couple more that I and I'm
1: sorry I'd forgotten about them. So obviously we got a good relationship with Comptia and oh, yeah. and uh, on the cybersecurity we've got great relationships with Scout and great relationships yeah, with yeah. Highwire Networks. Those are both SOC relationships of ours. Um, so again, like it, when you have names like those names, um, including again ASCII, and Tech Tribe and Robin Robbins, like they're pointing the finger and saying Mission Control is a company to use for for are not going to help desk. That's a really powerful thing and. You know, our reputation continues to grow because of stuff like that. If they've got now that I've now that I did the name drops, I've got them all. I said them all. I don't have to apologize. I hope I didn't miss anybody.
0: Um, Fair. So, um, I I think the the biggest thing would be I've seen uh, James over at at Benchmark Three Sixty Five. He's he's very big on you know, like scaling your MSP by outsourcing. Um, is, is that kind of your approach as well, is, is to say, hey, we're here to help you scale? Or, or are you saying, hey, we're here to help you develop systems? Or, you know what I mean? Like, what is your approach to a successful MSP relationship with mission control?
1: Yeah, well, so most MSPs do contact us because they're looking to grow and scale would be the word, right? I think one of our taglines is we help MSPs grow and scale by extending uh, their serviceability to their clients. Uh, but a lot, of, so a lot of MSPs do reach out because they're looking to grow and scale. A lot of them do reach out because they want to offer 24-7 and they don't have those kinds of resources. Um, a lot of them are just looking to use their team or maybe even themselves more effectively on either more senior level stuff or project level stuff, or they just don't want to deal with, you know, some tier one, tier two things. So I would say that our primary use is is spread out across a few different approaches. Um, For us, again, having lived the MSP, like there aren't too many of our competitors that, although they exclusively service MSPs, that they actually ran an MSP. Again, that leads to one of the reasons why we're different. And having done that and understanding, because we, we wanted to knock and help this company. We used services of our competitors as a client when we were that MSP business. And the shortcomings of, of our experiences essentially lead to the way that we do things. So when an MSP wants to grow and scale, and maybe they want to use us in that fashion, we, we come to them with what we think would be the best fit and approach. And it's very much a, a tag team effort. We work with them to understand their need. We look at the services we can offer and see what fits. If it's affordable, if it's cost effective for them, and if it solves the pain point and gets them the value, that's a good fit. I will always tell an MSP on every call that we do, this relationship that we have with our MSP partners, they will never last. It will never work. If we're winning in the relationship and they're losing, or if they're winning and we're losing, we have to win together. That's why we say that we have to be an extension of your team and of your company. And, for all the things that MSPs
0: want to use us for, that is a common theme. And, um, whoops, I got to put myself back on the screen here. And, and with that, um, how would you say you're able to help like the, the single user MSP? Like it's, you know, literally the guy that just wears all the hats because it's just where he's at in, in his, in his business.
1: Yeah, well, so that kind of person is frazzled all the time. They're doing on-site support and taking their own support calls. Then they're sending out the invoice for the work that they did while they need to do another remote call in 15 minutes from there and sell a server, right? Like it's, it's a very difficult life. Um, a lot of the times those points of entry are, let's help take some of those phone calls. You don't even have to have a service there. You don't have to be the technical support. We can take the call, make the ticket, and get it to you for later. You don't have to have the phone ring while you're in front of a client or in a meeting. Then it goes beyond that to say, Would you like to sleep at night? Can we take some of the server support where if something were to break overnight, you don't have to wake up or you don't have to get up and find um sorry um and find the uh Like you don't have to get up, you don't have to find the alert, you don't have to be woken up by an end user uh, when you wake up in the morning and say it's down and that's that, you know, the lousy morning scenario where it's broken, you didn't know about it until you got woken up by the end user. So the approach for those kinds of things is when it's a single user, and there's a lot of them, finding a point where they would feel would be the best relief, because it's a relief thing for them, the amount that's on their shoulders is incredible, when they get that relief, then they can start to build from there. Most of these guys want to build their business and they get stuck in the support process and they are the support process,
0: right? Yep. Yeah. That makes absolute sense. So um, what, what would you say to those guys who l- love what they, they hear about you, you know, reputation wise um, are, are ready to, to do something with you, but, but then they see the price. Um, and, and then they start to sweat bullets, if that makes sense. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, so what's interesting, and again, this goes back to pick and choose. If you compare us to some of our competitors, and you take like a single endpoint versus a single endpoint, we're a few dollars more. There's, there's no question about it. The pick and choose mix and match of what we do, by the time we're done, saves MSPs so much money. Because right now, let's say they want to onboard a client site that's got 50 computers. Wherever they are, if it's not at Mission Control, they have to onboard all 50. And if five of those people needed 24-7 support and the other 45 don't because they're just not the C-level people, you still have to have all 50 people onboarded with the same 24-hour service level because that's the requirement. And you'd have a one-year commitment on it. Mission Control, we don't even have annual contracts here. We're a month-to-month service with a 30-day out, number one. Number two, we don't have any onboarding fees. You put those two together and you have a really low risk of trying this out. And the third piece to it is if you only wanted to onboard 20 of those machines instead of 50, we're now saving you 30 devices, 30, 30 devices every month, and maybe even ten of uh, five of those VIPs we put on 24-7 support, and the other five we don't because we can mix and match service levels even for different users and different devices at the same client. Um, I hope I worded that well, but the short version is by the time you figure out that pick and choose, mix and match, you're spending money somewhere else on a competitor, we're mm-hmm. almost always significantly less expensive on the overall solution. If you're brand new to outsourcing, remember that we're not the cost of an employee. We're way, way, way less. So if you're weighing those two options, you say, well, I, you know, I might have to hire an employee that comes with their sick days, vacation days. They might leave the, you know, you got your taxes and all those other liabilities and responsibilities. Well, that's, you don't have that stuff. The The, the point of entry for us is 10 hours a month.
0: So <clears throat> No no contract, well, probably a contract, no, but it's no one-to-month contract. No annual contract, yeah. that's right.
1: No onboarding fees. No onboarding fees, no client minimums. You can onboard a single customer or many if you want to.
0: And can that single customer be a single
1: workstation? It cannot. So we do have a minimum, and so the minimum that we have, whether it be a quantity of devices as a multiplier or quantity of hours on a multiplier, we do have a minimum, but that is not a per-customer minimum. And it's not a per service minimum, it's it's overall, MSP, across yeah. everything that we do, um, which again, makes it easier and more palatable for the MSP's wallet and approach to it. it, it it's a scary thing when you go into the, into the industry looking for a knock and help desk company and they say, let's commit for a year. You're going to give us a whole bunch of money up front just to get started. And your obligation every month is up here. Our obligation is down here and you don't have those initial scary stuff of annual contracts and onboarding fees.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is the minimum 900 us per month,
1: which essentially works out to about 30 devices or 10 hours, depending on how you do it.
0: Got it. Which, I mean, that's, that's not terrible. Um, that is a, a a big nut to swallow for some of these smaller companies, but when, and and I guess what I'm looking at is, you know, you could probably start up with XYZ helped desk company for much lower than that. the the overall costs across all of the clients that you on board once you get to a certain number is going to be higher with that company. you're right but but for them to come on board like I remember coming on board with with GMS and like I remember my bill being like 150 a month. Because they just, you know, they didn't have a minimum, uh, they would just charge me the, you know, I don't know, $15 a, a workstation, and they, they covered what they covered. Um,
1: so I think there's two pieces to it. One, I, I think if you were to contact GMS today, and I don't know for sure, but I suspect their point of entry is very different. Um, nevertheless, I think there's two there's two main things to it. Number one, I mentioned 10 hours, right? If you're not knock to help this company like us and you don't need us for 10 hours across an entire month and your entire clientele, you probably don't even need us. So, you know, we want, we want to work with partners that actually need us as opposed to let's give this a try and maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. We're in it for the long haul with our partners. That's why we have that 10-hour um, kind of starting point. Uh, the other piece to it too is, uh, and again, I, I'm not into talking negatively about my competition, but I'll wear no, like the One of the things that we are really proud of is that we boast the lowest escalation and particularly what I call the lowest inappropriate escalation rate in the space. Inappropriate escalations. And given that you've used a service and I'm not talking GMS, I'm talking anybody, the amount of inappropriate escalations is now a very sensitive word in the industry because it happens all the time for things that don't need to happen. When I say an inappropriate escalation, I mean an escalation that happens where it goes from the knocking out this company to the
0: MSP, and then that so, can help us, could have just fixed the day problem themselves.
1: Well, they could, yeah. yeah. Maybe they call and ask some questions. Maybe they dig a little deeper and don't just assume it's not there. There's a lot of situations where they can go further that would make it so that when the MSP, you know, looks at their list and they see the number of escalations. it's Because it, when you get an escalation like that, it's like you've paid for it to be your problem again, right? So I don't care if you're spending $100 a month. If you're getting no value out of that $100, who cares, Right. I want people to spend $900 a month with us because that means they need us at least and that they're going to get value, that we're doing work that they are going to see value and not come back in their lap with a whole bunch of escalations that they basically felt that they paid for. That's a major, major difference with us. The other thing, too, is with our integration, if you think about escalations in a traditional sense, when I'm not going to help this company escalates a ticket to you, it's your problem. You don't have a way of really getting it back to them. It's your problem. Mm -hmm getting it back into their hands and saying, can you please you know, continue with the work? It doesn't happen anymore. But with us, because we're integrated in the PSA, escalation is now a mechanism of communication between us and the MSP. By the time I would escalate a ticket to you, if I was the tech working on the ticket, I would have followed my steps, like calling you, emailing you, messaging you in Teams and Slack as of tomorrow. Um, and then you know, eventually, if I wasn't able to reach you in any form or manner, you would see in your PSA that, that ticket would have a status of Escalate from MC, Escalate from Mission Control, right? All mm-hmm. you need to do is provide the missing piece. Let's say you come back from lunch, get my voicemail, and you're going to give me the missing piece. You can call me back or Slack me back or Teams me back or any of that stuff. But once I have the missing piece, all you'd have to do is change the status on that ticket from Escalate from MC to Escalate to MC. Got it's right. saved and closed, and it's, our, it's on our court again.
0: Love it.
1: So it's, it, escalation is a very sensitive word where with us, now it's really a communication tool. And I like that. I really think it's better.
0: Okay. So that, that is a good point. If if you don't have a need to, to outsource 30 workstations or 10 hours a month, then you probably just don't have a need to outsource. Okay. Um, you know, some some people – just don't want to be bothered to get up at two 30 in the morning when a client calls and they have to determine if that's worth $900 a month. You know, other people may have, uh, other you know, reasons that that they just don't work certain days or hours or whatever. Um, so yeah, they, they need to figure out if, if that's worth the money. And um, the other thing to keep in mind, which this is actually something that I think we're going to end up talking about is before you outsource you should really have some some systems in place for how you operate your msp um, you you can't just you can't just go and and say yeah i'm going to outsource and have like no documentation and just everything is is a shit show because you know you're you're a single person with no documentation and everyone's on log me in and you know whatever BS you want to use, right? So you you need to have very thorough documentation and and we can talk about what that looks like. Um, You need to have kind of rules on what it looks like when one of your people are working on a ticket and and working with end users and touching their equipment, things like that. Um, And you should also have in your agreements between you, the MSP and your clients uh, like kind of a, I want to call it like a fair use policy because I suspect that that's something that mission control has. You know, if, if we're outsourcing 30 workstations a month, it's not unlimited tickets unlimited calls like for $30 a month per workstation. I did the math. I'm not dumb. Um, you know, you're you're not going to get twenty hours of service for each end user that wants to call for every BS thing. You know, you're you're getting a, a certain number of, whether it's calls, minutes, tickets, whatever you want to call it, before mission control really starts to tighten the reins and say, "Hey, you know, there's there's a there's an issue with how much your clients are expecting from you at this type of price." Does, does all that sound? accurate.
1: Sure. And again, there's a lot in there. When I think about, I, I feel like, so when we do the per device thing, right, it's the classic way the industry does it where it's unlimited incident support for that particular machine and the user on that machine. But incident support really means it worked yesterday, it's broken today, we've got to fix it, right? It's not it's not a project. Um, and so there are certainly things that we can't include at an unlimited price of $30, right? But there's a lot that we can you know, your common SaaS applications are in there, um, you know, all sorts of incidents that may come up are in there. There's a lot, but you're right. There are some limitations. There are certain industries that I would say are traditionally more problematic on hours to, to, to user count. Um, uh, to name them, I think, you know, hospitality, uh, transportation, like logistics, um, education, those industries where you can't really either have a per device model because it wouldn't fit um, or situations where, you know, the, the turnover on those industries and those companies are just crazy where you're adding staff and removing staff every time. And and a lot of my rules that we have here about limitations, I, I to your point, they are not mission control rules. They should be MSP rules because otherwise with or without mission control, the MSP is being taken advantage of.
0: You know what I mean? Absolutely. And 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 I might be oversimplifying this. So when I see ninety dollars an hour or thirty dollars a workstation, does that mean that you, when when all everything's you know documented correctly, uh, MSP's clients are are handled correctly, et cetera, that you anticipate? working approximately 20 minutes per workstation on average each month. You got it. Okay. And
1: that's, so, we, I mean, we may talk about the rule of 10 if you want to today, but that is that is exactly where that comes from. Because if this client is set up right and the client size is right and the industry doesn't have crazy turnover, it should be that way. Uh, it shouldn't be messy and it shouldn't be problematic and there shouldn't be all kinds of things. that. Now, the, the benefit of doing it by time is – uh, in an after hours example, it illustrates best, right? If you were to onboard, if you if you wanted your entire client base to get service after hours, you want to offer 24-7, to onboard every device at every client to get access to after-hour support for the rare occasion that they needed. Like usually after-hour stuff, volume is very, very low, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can buy a device in those cases, it doesn't make sense. Time-based, what you're now doing is spreading time across your entire client base. Whoever calls and gets the service, we only charge for the time that we spend. That's where that application makes way more sense than by device. Also, some MSPs still have break fixed clients. If they're charging their client hourly, better to pay us hourly, that way they'll always know their costs and their margins, they know they're gonna win financially, right? But the by device, okay. you nailed it, is intended is, is for clients of a size of, let's say, 10 devices or more. There isn't crazy turnover, so they're in a normal industry that doesn't have crazy mm-hmm. turnover. Incident support is a normal level, it should be 20 minutes a machine, on average.
0: Excellent. Okay, so um, I, I feel like we—I I almost want to break this this podcast episode into like two parts, right? So we've got uh, part one, which is you know we, we wanted to talk more about Mission Control itself, and you know the the man, the myth, the legend, Jason Cohen, and and pricing, and kind of f- some philosophical stuff. To, to lightly get in there. And I, I know that you um you gave me some links to put into the YouTube description. Um so I, let me let me take a look here. One of these links um well two of these links are, are basically like learn more about Jason, learn more about mission control, uh so that you know the website and your LinkedIn. Um, one takes you to uh the mission control YouTube channel. Uh, which uh, very specifically, there's an intro video and a PSA integration demo. So there's so, that, which I'll oh,
1: go so ahead. So that PSA integration demo is actually pieces of the podcast we did in the summer.
0: <laughs> That's so cool.
1: I took it and I, and I, and I, what we did on that call, I basically trimmed it down so it's just the PSA part. It's not that I wanted to cut you off. That's not what that was, but what it was, we did, it, it, it was such a good demo that we isolated it and what that demo does, it demos Autotask, right? Um, so if an MSP has Autotask, but the rules are the same, whether they have ConnectWise or Synchro, it shows MSP's PSA over here and Mission Control's Autotask PSA over here and exactly what happens when things like time entries or notes or status changes or anything happens to a ticket from the time that it bridges to us to the time that it's closed. And it shows workflow rules and it shows all these other things that are triggering the contracts, all that stuff that our integration handles so beautifully and gracefully. That demo will show, it's an Autotask demo, but the principles apply to any MSP PSA that we support. Um, so again, Autotask ConnectWise Synchro. It's an awesome demo. If you want to know how it works, look at that link.
0: Love it. And then there's a there's one last link that you had me include. Why don't, why don't you talk about that one?
1: We're talking about the landing page, yeah? Yes, sir. So for people who are watching this webinar and anyone else who follows Steve at Rocket MSP, we want to give as much value as we can. First of all, we appreciate you spending the time to actually listen to us banter and talk. Um, at the same time, you know, we, we always want to show value. We have, a, we have a promo that we've got set up for uh, Rocket MSP uh Partners, members, friends, family—that kind of thing. Um, where essentially, if you're considering Mission Control, if you were to go to that URL, you would receive up to 20% off of our list prices on our recurring device services uh, for the first year. Um, it's, you know, probably one of the most aggressive promos we'd ever offer. And truthfully, it's one of the things where, you know, Steve, I don't know how to say any better, but I love doing these with you. You're a, you're a really fun, friendly guy. I remember meeting you at Autotask Community Live in 2017, I think it was. Um, And Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed every conversation since. So anything we can do to help your followers, friends, et cetera,
0: I'm happy to do it. Well, thank you, Jason. I appreciate that. Um, All right. Well, what I would like to do now, though, is I want to dive into some more, like, technical stuff. And the rest of this is not necessarily mission control centric. It's, it's, It's like tool agnostic. This is how to run your MSP better. Okay, Um, so what I what I want to know is which one where do we start? I know you I want to talk about three topics, rule of 10 documentation and then your one touch, one tech touch rule that just rolls off the tongue, too. So which which one? What order do we
1: do these? I think the documentation is the easiest one to get out of the way. Um, So we can do that one first. The rule of 10 really does apply to what we just talked about in terms of the the numbers and ratios. Um, Mm -hmm. It will be a longer conversation. So I would say uh, let's start with the documentation then go to the rule of 10. Um, I mean, you asked the question earlier, right? Like what does an MSP have to have as far as documentation standards that is going to work, right? I get asked this all the time. And the truth is, the reason I think it's easy to answer is my answer is always, if you as the MSP were to hire a staff member instead of mission control, that staff member, assuming that they were technically savvy, they had the technical skills you'd hire them for, and technically they can do what they want, they've got the right mind for the industry, they understand how you know ticketing systems work and all those kinds of stuff, and they can hit the ground running, what documentation do you need to give them? So that they won't constantly be calling you and bothering you and asking you questions for things that could have been documented. It's really that simple. When we talk about escalations earlier, a lot of the industry has a problem with escalation because of documentation, right? Knocking out this company goes looking for for uh, some password or some detail. They can't find it, and at that point they escalate. And again, mission control does that differently because we're actually going to reach out to you and call you and Slack you and Teams you and. and And try and get a more direct answer so that when we have that information, we can continue working on the ticket. But we still need to take your time if you haven't put it in there. My team, as well as what I would expect to be any senior level tech resource you might hire, they don't need documentation on how to install a printer. We know how to do this stuff. But we can't go in blind. We need credentials. We need IPs of devices. We need gotchas of things that you might have experienced that, you know, you need the experience to understand. Otherwise, you're going to spend a lot of hours trying to figure it out. Those things will just save everybody time. The whole point of what we do is, like, uh, I'll word it another way also, too, is you know our competition is, is a lot of them are overseas. Lower costs, they're not North America. The only way Mission Control is going to compete with that is if we are going to be more efficient. It's all about being efficient. And and MSP should strive for efficiency too. So the less we have to take up your time to get the missing pieces, the more efficient everyone is going to be and the whole service is going to be. That's, okay.
0: that, that's how I think about it. So do you have like... Sorry. And nobody
1: is, do I expect a doc uh, MSP to walk in the door and have a 10 out of 10 documentation? Haven't
0: seen one yet. So it's never going to be perfect, but it can be good. So, so do you have like, uh, forms that you make us fill out? Like, is there onboarding documentation we have to do, or do you expect us to just be a a big boy MSP that has their, their IT glue filled out that we can just integrate glue we'll connect over to you
1: so let's say it glue is in, in play um when you onboard Mission Control, we're going to ask you a bunch of questions because we want the relationship to succeed that includes anything from your points of contact in your company to business hours things like that when we start talking about psa stuff we want to understand when we make a ticket for you what queue or board do we put it on what work type should we use do you have an after hours work type versus a daytime work type um, you know, A lot of questions like that, we'll talk about services and, you know, for example, on a time-based ticket, how long should we work any time-based ticket before we come to you and ask for further approval or work uh, or to escalate? Because you might want that ticket back if it's taking too long because on time-based tickets, there's costs to that. So basically, a whole bunch of questions up front to really set the account up for success. When you get into IT Blue, what you're really talking about is the documentation for the accounts for your clients, the MSP's customers, Right. And in those documentations, what we're looking for are things like credentials, um, uh, documentation on how a process needs to be followed. If there's something special, some sort of special SOP. So those are the things we look for in the IT glue. We do definitely expect for MSPs to, you know, put on their big boy pants and and document to a standard that, again, if they were to hire somebody, they could show them. Here's where you go. The documentation's there. You should not need to bother us for much. And that's kind of the approach that we take as well when it comes to. Client documentation. As always, it's never going to be perfect. When we find the things that we don't have, we're going to contact you, uh, ask you for the missing piece. When you get us the missing piece, once we test it and we know it works, we will add it into the documentation. We don't want that to happen again. It's better for everybody if we add documentation as we go. We don't want to be the ones to build it. We want to be the ones to maintain it and update it.
0: That makes sense, and and I appreciate that you even want to update and maintain it that I think speaks volumes for what you are going to bring to the table for MSPs, because I can't tell you how many times um, I've heard people working with other help desks and knocks that those, those guys just don't do it. Right. You know, they'll, they might even figure out what the new username and password is or change it or whatever, but like they won't even put it in a ticket. Like, <laughs> like come on, at least do it the wrong way, but don't don't like do it not at all. Come on. Um it's so funny you say that. It's a, it's a common discussion here. So <laughs> Uh so so when it comes to documentation for MSPs that don't have IT glue. How's that look?
1: So a distant, uh, sorry, a close second to IT Glue is Passportal. And then we've got our others like Hudu uh, and IT Boost and SharePoint. I mean, we've got a lot of MSPs that just leverage their Office 365 licenses and put stuff online. The big requirements for documentation are it has to exist. It has to be on a web portal that we can log into without necessarily the need for VPNs and things like that. Although, you know, we can whitelist IPs because we're coming from the same places. Um, that is protectable by 2FA. And that the content is searchable. Those four things are what we need. As long as it's for those four things, as long as it's those four things, we're good. Because those things make us efficient. Uh, if we don't have those things, the problem, we're a security concern.
0: What um, that? So here's a dumb question. How does 2FA work when you have so many people on your team? Are you all just sharing Authy or something? Or
1: no, we're not. And then, you know, Authy, good example because it's it's not shareable. You can't really use it that way, and there's no such thing as share uh, Authy for teens.
0: Um, no, no, no. It is shareable in the sense that uh, we all you know, have the same login to it, right? Well, so so what what I would do if I had to share Authy, I'm not saying it's the right way to do it, but they have a desktop version of Authy that you can install. Onto all the desktops, and then once you get it authenticated to the same person's phone, yeah, then you're able to to do that, right? And so, if you
1: did it that way, the management of the devices would be the way in and out, right? The the, the common the, the problem that we've had to solve is we never want to have a staff member get fired or quit and be able to leave with anything. Good. Number one, and number two that it's really, really, really fast for me to cut off everything like that, right? For however that relationship ends, I should be able to cut off everything, not just access to the PSA, not just access to it, like everything, right? Um, we've got a pretty elaborate system here. Essentially, it's a combination of uh, SAS pass um, with, so that's the 2FA component uh, with Keeper as the vault system. But essentially what it is, our staff has to 2FA to our stuff to get access to the federated stuff for the MSP. Um, it's the best thing that we could come up with, and it's fantastic compared to our competition. Most, most, most. you know, I think our competition, for example, they do use Authy and things like that. But the, the coolest part about it is I can cut off a staff member. They lose access to everything in a heartbeat because the 2FA authentication to my stuff is where it gets cut off. Once they authenticate to our stuff, everything is tracked through that. So we're able to follow everything that they do from start to finish. If there was ever an audit trail question or who did what, we've got the answer. And again, from a security concern, they never see even the passwords because all that stuff is federated to them. So it's it's a very slick way of making sure that we're as on top of security as we can be. No staff member can ever leave with something that they could take with them. And I can cut off access in a snap. Okay. Try to picture it.
0: Yeah, I can't picture it.
1: So okay. I'll just give you the intro to it, right? So I wake up in the morning. I'm a technician. I'm going to open up my um, my login to Autotask, which is that my technicians are working in Autotask. They're also mm-hmm. working in my liftoff portal. They're also working in all these other things. Mm-hmm. They have an app on their phone that's a, bar, uh, it's a QR code scanner. Leafs, Toronto. Um, they scan the QR code. That's their 2FA into my system. They're not getting in without that stuff. We've federated oh. our Office 365, we're federating our office logins. we're federating our stuff. But it also federates them to our Keeper vaults. And into cool. is where we've got the credentials into the MSP's PSA, as an example. So they're never getting into your PSA without 2FAing themselves to us. And then on top of that, R2FA into your thing. Okay. I like it. So I uh, track anybody by the QR code that they use to get in once they scan in. And if I cut off their QR, they're not getting into anything.
0: So uh, sh- shameless plug. Um, tomorrow, 1 a a.m. Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Eastern. Uh, Passwordless logins will be the topic. Nice. So it it, it sounds kind of like what you're doing, so figured might as well toss that out there for people wanting to understand how uh you know federated 2FA passwordless login type stuff might work. There there you have it. Well, All cool. right, so yes, I know what I'm doing at one o'clock. Yeah, it it's a really cool looking system. I so I'll be honest, uh, and I, I told them this too, like, some of this stuff sounds like gimmicky and, and looks like bullshit that doesn't work. Uh, and and having a conversation with uh, the guys yesterday, uh, two days ago, I had a conversation with the guy, uh, both guys, and I was really impressed. Um, and I know I'm, you know, like, e- easily sold and, and shiny new toys, but... I could tell that they knew what they were talking about, and that's the important part here. So, that's that. Um, all right, so let's keep going. Uh, documentation. I feel like we've we've kind of exhausted all of the documentation concept type stuff. I mean, you're not going to tell us how to do documentation, but you don't need to because if if MSPs sign up for IT Glue it's practically a wizard. Like you open up the the thing, you say, I want to document a, a server and it's got all the fields. Like you just fill it all out and we're done. Like <laughs> you don't need explained. It's... They've done a very good job of making documentation a process. Um... In fact, I think, I think I haven't seen all the other ones, but I feel like IT glue is the only one that's done that as as thoroughly um, I just haven't seen the other tools to, to be able to say that in in a definite sense though all right rule of 10 is is this a is this a metric joke what are you doing to me man no
1: this is this is the rule that again this is not a mission control rule this is my okay. suggestion for any MSP who's running a managed service business today if you are going to take on a customer that is 10 devices or more, you can service them per device, you can service them per user, you can service them per time, service them however you want because you'll be okay. If you take on a client that is nine devices or less, or is less than 10, you should only be servicing them by time. Really? The reason I say that is because the smaller environments, first of all, they tend to be noisier as a ratio. But if you think about the number of devices versus hours, like if you want to do a simple math experiment, so let's say on an hourly rate, you were an MSP that charged $150 an hour.
0: Let's, let's make it $120. That way, it's easy math. Every minute's $2. So right, you pick the numbers. <laughs> you pick the
1: numbers. We're charging $120 an hour for your MSP. And what is your per device cost to them that includes remote support? Not on-site, not projects, remote support.
0: The price that I would charge them? Yes. Let's call it $125. you are going to charge 125 per device for unlimited support? Well, I guess I look at it as per user. Okay. So I, will admit, I
1: think that that's higher than most MSPs charge, but I'm good to work with that number either way.
0: Okay. Got okay. What do, you, what do you see most MSPs charging?
1: A lot of MSPs are closer to the, to the $100 mark um, okay. for, for remote support only. Again, not on-site, but they do include, let's say, their tool stack in there and unlimited remote, just remote. And again, only incidents. Not talking about service requests or user turnover stuff, just incidents, right? So let's use $100 per device or user and $120, $120 an hour, right? So let's say you have a client that has 50 devices. Mm-hmm. Out of that month, you're going to have five people call one month, seven people call another month, eight people call another month, six people call another month. It's going to vary, but 50 people aren't calling. You're going to have a handful right. of people that call. Some month, you know, maybe they'll call two months in a row and then they'll skip a month and they'll call whatever, but they call enough, but it's it's a ha- always a handful of people, okay? Charging them by device at $100 per device at 50 devices Math is easy, right? What do you charge them?
0: 50 devices, we said. 50 devices $100 a month. 5,000?
1: Right. So if you charge them hourly, which you're not going to do in this case, you're going to charge them by device, but it, we're, we're making the example here. If they had, let's say, uh, six calls that month, and each ticket was an average of 45 minutes, right? So six times 0.75.
0: I, I can already tell you that's a hundred and
1: I, I I it's four and a half hours, right? <laughs> yeah. Times $120 is 540 bucks. Yeah. Obviously doing it by device, you're winning You're making $5,000 instead of $540. Right. Sure. Now let's bring that down. And let's say you had five users, not 50. Mm-hmm. Okay. Out of five users, you're still going to have three or four calls in a month.
0: Well, see, and I, I argue against that. Do you? Okay, so I have a client that is five users. Do you know how many calls I get on average per month over the course of a year? I assume you're going to tell me it's a low number. Point 0.5. I get, I get a call every other month on average. Do you think that that is uh, common or the norm? I, I do because with every one of my clients, that is the norm. I've got clients I just don't hear from, but I know they're super happy because when I hear from... Now, I've got one who who bugs me with every little thing. So I feel like that is the one that's out of the ordinary. Is that a one user or a few? That's a one user. Okay. And you're charging them for device? Uh, I'm charging them literally All they're, all they're paying for is like the... Uh, security essentials type thing. So they pay for calls.
1: Right. And so they're the example here, right? And if I send that to a five user group and let's say it was five users and let's say three or four people call, so same idea. So four people call times 0.75 of an hour as an average, you're getting three hours of time, three hours of time. If you were to do five devices by the, $100, $100, you'd be at five devices, right? Uh, $500, sorry. If you do it by time, you're at three hours, you're at $300, right? The ratio, what that means, just by example, is that your your risk cost on hours, depending on how often they call, but you, you can bet that that number is going to be closer, your risk is higher doing it on a per device basis on the smaller guys, and my experience mm. has been that the smaller guys actually call more average per user than in the big guys.
0: Interesting.
1: So if you've got if you ever asked
0: where five maybe people it's just because two. the smaller guys like one person is wearing multiple hats. Sure. So so they probably have to you have to troubleshoot one person like they're three or four, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, and they don't have, like, they don't have nearly the sophistication of automation. Like, there's a lot of things that play into that, but I really do feel like the smaller companies, regardless of industry, if you take a look at the average, you'll find that per person, they use more time. Which means each call, each ticket becomes more expensive, which means doing it by device makes it more risky. Whereas you'll never lose if you go by time. You only ever That's lose true. by device. So it's more about the risk there. So, the, so our rule of 10, essentially what that says, and I still recommend it, is that if you have a client that has nine devices or less, service them by time and take the risk out of the equation. You won't lose. You might not make as much as in your example. And of course, depending on what you charge by device and what you charge per hour will make a difference here, right? But mm-hmm. you might not make as much, but you'll never lose. On the bigger guys, by device will make more sense. Uh, most of the time, but depending on industry, and I still say industries like hospitality, transportation, education, there's a few of them where you should be by time no matter what.
0: Gotcha. That's my rule of 10. Okay. Now, it sounds like I have a couple of exceptions to that rule. And it sounds like, I don't know, maybe I'm getting lucky or I'm doing something differently. Um, and, and, like I said, the the noisier ones. It, it's interesting. The noisy ones are the ones that pay me time. So like I'll I'll charge them per device plus time.
1: Well, um. Yeah. So when I say by device, what I mean is including unlimited support.
0: Yeah. Well, and so when I look at uh, the way I'm doing those, is I'm doing like uh, you know RMM. AV, yeah, DNS, like all, all, all the tools, all the subscription stuff. I, I charge them for that, and then they pay me for whenever they want me to answer a phone call, email, text message, smoke signal, whatever. Right. And to me, that's time.
1: That's, yeah. that's not by device. That's by time. Okay. By device, when I say by device, I mean tools plus unlimited incident support because that's really where your labor comes in.
0: Yeah, and, and see, I, I uh, we're just speaking two different languages, so I didn't realize that uh, we were saying the same thing.
1: Yeah. I think Man. if you break it out, you'll find that, and, and again, maybe you're, you've are gotten lucky on a couple of accounts. I really do feel like if if you were to globally look at this, the smaller guys call more
0: mm-hmm. and
1: per user on average in terms of time and hours used on tickets in a month. And so by, by, for the ones that are including, again, if it's just the tool stack and that's all you're including, you should be including that on every machine. You should charge them for every machine. I agree with that wholeheartedly, right? Uh, if you're a tool stack with AV and RMM and all that stuff, it, it ends up costing you $10 a month. Charge them 20 or 30 bucks. You make that, but that's aside from labor. When you're including labor on per device as unlimited support, I feel like 10 devices or more, you can do it, and you'll win 90% of the time. Do it on the ones that are less than ten. You'll win far less, and it becomes riskier.
0: Now, I've got to ask this question because you know you you run a knock and help desk. So, have, have you have you like sat there and analyzed the trends of your clients' clients' tickets? Yeah. So, for example, are you able to look and see? You know, law firms are, are really noisy and marketing firms are real easy. Like, what, what are the what are the worst, the noisiest, the least uh, profitable customers? It's the
1: ones I was talking about. Well, that's not fair. So, so initially, I was going to say the ones I identified, like hospitality, transportation, education. Um, and there's a few more. I've built them up. But those are the worst by device. But by time, who cares? Sure. right. Sure. So it's, it really depends on the relationship. And that's why, you know, if an MSP comes to me and says, I've got a client logistics, I'm going to say, fantastic, we can service them by time. We don't have the by device option for that industry because we'll get killed. And frankly, if the MSP is offering it that way themselves with or without mission control, they'll get killed. But by now, time, I, they can make a lot of money.
0: I see somebody has a comment in here. He wants to fight this, but... Jason's right on the
1: roll of ten. I love
0: Matthias is awesome, man. Now I- I'll say this: uh, I I know Matthias pretty well, and he he does a lot in education. Yes, he and did. I I think what he's doing is is by device with the education. I don't think he's doing time.
1: So I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. So Matthias is a partner with Mission Control. I know. And he had a call with me about two weeks ago that I'm not going to go into detail, but this came up. And uh, he had an education opportunity, and we talked about how it would have to be serviced by time. And, you know, with education, you've got – there's two pieces to it, right? You, the student part, we don't really want to talk about much because that's not where most MSPs will focus their service for an educational facility. They'll focus it on – unless it's post-secondary, right, in the university, whatever. But it's usually on the staff, right, the staff machines, and they may not have dedicated machines and there might be uh, amazing turnover in different locations and all these kinds of things where doing it by, by user and by device may not make a lot of sense, but by time always will. It's more expensive uh, if you look at it from a break fix position, right? But how did he even post that? That's pretty good. But, um, cause it just came up, um, it's uh, YouTube comments. Oh, um, but yeah, so we, we talked about it, and you know the general the general from me was it should be done by time because doing it by device it would be too risky, and it's not a format also that would really work. Oh,
0: oh now I see what you asked. I put that up. Uh-huh. So like so like this guy you know a while back gave uh-huh. us a thumbs up, and Matthias also told us that he does it per user. So yeah, I can I do what I want. Uh, Streamyard is a really awesome system for for doing these okay uh there are a lot more things that it can do and i have never figured out how to do them uh <laughs> so one of these days it's on the list um all right so i i actually was going to bring matthias up which is hilarious i didn't know he was watching um i i was i was going to bring that up and say well i know a guy who does education Um, So what have you found are the most profitable vertical industries, markets, whatever?
1: There's a lot of them that can be really good. Because the truth is, in most industries, like if I think about insurance, um, manufacturing, engineering, uh, general professional services, law, a lot of these industries, they have mostly the same stuff right everybody's got their email which is you know either your office 365 or your g suite they've got their office suite installed word excel powerpoint outlook they've got their printers they've got their 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 drives are on either one or sharepoint or on a local file store. like a lot of that stuff is the same and when you don't have a lot of turnover which most of those industries i mentioned like they think about law right legal the lawyers they don't change that much in a year they're usually consistent So you're not constantly dealing with a lot of service requests. You're not dealing with a lot of issues that might come up of of that kind of dynamic. And so in those circumstances, the profitability can be really good because it's just straight support. And all those industries will have two or three line of business apps, right? Legal has them, design has them, engineering has them. And you're going to have to deal with those apps. I think the most profitable ones are where they're getting support for those apps from the vendor, So if you're in if you're, you know, custom apps, uh, fine, as long as those particular apps are understood that they're getting support from the vendor. So if you're an MSP and you're trying to figure out which verticals are the best to hit and, you know, from our MSP days, we didn't focus on any particular one niche vertical. We we did a lot of them, but they were mostly the professional services type of stuff um, where turnover was low and where any sort of line of business support was done by the vendor. Particularly in transportation, one of the reasons that we like to avoid that by device is they have several line of business applications. And frankly, the application support is usually expected to be done by the MSP and the programs break a lot. Um, And so there ends up being a lot of break fix work where you can't really charge for it and you lose in those scenarios. And that's what we want to avoid as MSPs and obviously at Mission Control as well.
0: Excellent. So let's talk about the one tech touch rule.
1: This is an efficiency rule. This is when a ticket comes into your company or to Mission Control because we follow the same rule. Who does it get assigned to? Are you assigning it to a junior tech every time, which it might not be appropriate for? Are you assigning it to? Does uh, somebody triage and review right? Not just about ticket creation, like RMM alerts, emails from users. Uh, those are those uh, things that come by integration. Those are tickets that just show up. It's not like you took a call and actually made it and had an interaction first. They're just there. How do they get handed off to a technician? Our one tech touch rule says, and again, I said it earlier, a lot of our competition is not in North America. Their costs are much lower. The only way we're going to compete is if we are really, really efficient and effective at what we do. So when we get a ticket in, we have somebody who's going to assess, is the ticket priority right? Because our SLAs are related to priority. Is there an appropriate contact, appropriate device, appropriate issue type, sub-issue type? Is the ticket correct? And most importantly, what is the skill level required for this ticket to be solved? If it was, if it's a password reset, give it to the junior people on your team. That's what they're for. But if it's something more senior, I don't think it should go to the junior person who will waste time, fumble around, not get it solved, and then bring it escalated internally to the next tiers when eventually, let's say it goes to the intermediate guy, might have the exact same result, finally it gets to the senior level person who solves it in five minutes. That is not a good spend on time, that's not efficient. Your clients will feel it because they'll feel the slow delay in getting it solved. You will have spent two people's times that could have been saved, right? So very much focused, this this entire point, the one tech touch rule is one tech touches the ticket. One tech touches, solve start to finish. There will always be that 5% that you can't help escalating internally because it was something other than what you thought it was. But 95% should be solved by one tech, the first tech who touches that ticket.
0: Very cool. It just makes sense. All right. But, but my tears, he says. Um You know what? I thought,
1: I'm gonna uh, I was gonna say never mind.
0: Nope. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Probably better this way. Nope. Um you know, I I wish I right. could remember the name of this platform. There's there's a platform that I'm pretty sure it came from Australia, and it's like a it's like a PSA and kind of an RMM, and it I don't even man I I wish I remembered more about it. So it is like based on the Salt Stack, and it's it's almost designed to make your text be able to handle like any ticket. And the, the way it does that is when clients call in, um, you literally just start going through this system and, you know, it's it's a computer issue and this isn't working. And then it starts asking questions. And then you, you ask the question to the client and then the client answers and you select the answer and it, it kind of walks you through. Service tree. That's what it was called. It, I assume still is called. Um, I I wonder if... um, Wasn't that
1: that, an overlay on top of the PSA? It
0: kind of interacted
1: with the PSA? Am I thinking about the same thing you are?
0: I don't think so. I think... Let's see here. I don't think it was. Oh, you're thinking of Service Tree Auto, which... Looks like it integrates with ConnectWise. Interesting. Okay, so that's an auto-dispatching thing. Right. Um, yeah, this is not the same one. Let me see. I found it on Reddit. Nope, nope, that's not it. They, they must have completely changed what they do because I think this is the same I think this is the same uh, domain and I don't think it's yeah same domain different tool completely they just up and changed it <laughs> I, I don't understand why would you do that? They had a really cool thing going for them. Whatever. All right. So, uh, well, that was a bust. It was lame. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if anyone has questions that's watching this, uh, pop them into the YouTube chat. I, I, I only have one final question, Jason. I'm ready? Wolfenstein 3D or Doom? I played Doom
1: first. Yeah. So I have to so I'm going to say okay, ah, it's tough cuz you said 3D. If you just said Wolfenstein versus Doom that becomes a serious question as opposed to the individual game of the original Wolfenstein 3D and Doom.
0: Well, I'm I'm so to clarify, I'm talking about Doom, Doom 1. I know. versus that's Wolfenstein that's... 3D cuz they were both Around the same time frame. right? Well, Within a couple years.
1: 3D, I knew we were talking one game versus one game as opposed to series versus series. Because they remade Wolfenstein and Mm -hmm. then Doom had a whole series. And I actually really liked not the most recent one, the one before it. I really liked that one. I'm still going to say Doom because it's epic and everlasting and it's just, I don't know. I enjoyed it more and
0: do I like it? So um, I don't. I don't know how old you are, Jason. I'm 37. So when uh, when I was younger, I don't know if you're giving me that look like, "Holy crap, you're so old" or no, you're I'm so young. To
1: your question. Okay.
0: <laughs> like I really can't tell if you're 10 years younger or older than me. Like you just you look good. That's all I'm saying. Um. All right. So. So here's why I'm gonna say Doom because uh I had like I was such a loser. Uh I had like one friend and we uh I, I had like this shareware extravaganza four. It was this disc of uh no four them. CD set. I had them. and it had all this stuff, yeah, you know. So, you know, we got it from these really nice Russian guys at one of the computer trade shows at, at the IX Indoor Amusement Park Center. Uh yeah, it was it was a good time. Uh so in that it had a Doom WAD editor. So we would make our own Doom Wads. You would, huh? We'd yeah, dude. We'd we'd make we'd make custom levels. And then we'd like put them on floppy three and a half yeah. discs. And we'd like, we, we lived in the same apartment complex. So like I'd, I'd give him a disc and he'd give it back with different levels. And, oh man, we just had so much fun. And then like, I could still tell you IDKFA and IDDQD. And... <laughs> um, yeah, man, I had so much fun with Doom. Like I, I could never beat the final level without cheating.
1: Oh yeah, I, I I mean, you boot up the game, you did start typing in codes, uh, and I feel like I feel like two things you just hit on really reinforced my decision on Doom, and thank you for that. One was I never made my own wads, but I sure played enough of them, and mm-hmm. I don't remember Wolfenstein having the ability to add in just custom levels built by anybody. No, yeah, um, And the cheat codes. I mean, the cheat the the as soon as you said IDDQD, I know what you're doing, and those were yeah. forever. Um, so I, I stick by doom. I'm not changing my mind.
0: And you I, know, in I, fact, I I want to do a little experiment right now. I'm going to go on LinkedIn, and I'm going to make a post, IDDQD, and let's just see what happens. All right, with I, that post,
1: the first person to use IDKFA because it, it it was said here, like should not happen. They should have <laughs> the one to walk through walls or invisibility. I want to see you use those.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I remember. Should I, I know say this?
1: It? I, this is sad. I know what they are, and I'm not going to say it.
0: I'm going to go to the private chat that you and I have. I think it's that. I remember this. Nope. You don't rem- well, that one there gives you the chainsaw if you don't already have it. Oh, I forgot those.
1: Yeah, those are good ones. That's invisibility, and uh, and I think walk through walls.
0: Yeah, yeah, they had so many cool little cheat codes in that game, man. Uh, so what. Why don't you guys, in the comments, put your favorite Doom cheat code from when you were younger. Uh, <laughs> now, we mentioned we mentioned the one that gives you all, all the guns and ammo. But do you know that there's one that just reloads your ammo? Yes. You just drop a letter and then there you go. All right. So uh, it, I see, you know... Sean says, you know, Doom was the first to network. True, true. And uh, Matthias said, Doom for the series, Wolfenstein 3D for the nostalgia. There was there was a game that I played for a while. I I think it was a mod. I don't even remember anymore. Like, like remember how how like you'd install Half Life just so you could get to Counter Strike.
1: <laughs> half-life, half-life is still my favorite game series of all time um and funny enough that's what bonded me with the ceo of synchro because when i got on my first zoom meeting with him he was wearing the half-life cap oh that's so cool he had a baseball cap with a half-life symbol which i then bought the next day off of uh, amazon but um he he had he had finally he had told me that after i think 13 years They came out with the VR uh, Half-Life game, which came out just uh, last year. Wow, I didn't know know that. I raced out, upgraded my video game uh, system to support VR and made sure that I could play it. And it was amazing. It was like the best. It was what I hoped VR would be when I first bought it. Um, So
0: Half-Life for me is big. So I, I feel like... Really lame because I so here's here's my life. Wake up, uh eat breakfast, work, work some more, work some more, go to bed. Like I sometimes get time for the family. Like I'm I'm not very good at time management, as you can probably tell, but like <laughs> my my video gaming time anymore is like I'll lay in bed with an iPad and I just play like Clash Royale, like For a little bit, I would play, um, (laughs) for a little bit, I would, um, I would play like Call of Duty mobile on my iPad. And so here's how big of a nerd I am I've got one of those like flexible arms that you can like mount the iPad into. That way it holds the iPad and then I can hold a controller and play the video game. And I do that because if I go out into the living room and try and play a video game on the on the main TV, then I've got like chaos behind me or like I wanna play a game that's like not appropriate for the little one or you know whatever like so I'll just I'll just hide in here and, and just straight up destroy people on mobile because I'm using a, a game controller. <laughs> Everyone else is on their iPhone. I've got a 12.9 inch iPad Pro, <laughs> but I mean, I I remember when they had uh, the first Black Ops came out, and I just loved that game, man. And and then like I tried playing one of the Call of Duty games a couple years ago, and it just wasn't the same for me. And maybe it's because I don't I don't game enough, and I just suck at it now. But I I don't know, like. I just wanted to throw the, com- the controller through the TV uh, because if one more 10-year-old tells me I suck balls, <laughs> I swear on his life. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, um, yeah, that's me. <laughs> well, well, Jason, I, I really appreciate... Uh, the, the conversation we had today and things I got to learn today. Um, as always, you're, you're a fun guy to talk to and hang out with.
1: Yeah. I had a great time as always, Steve. Uh, thanks for having me. I hope that the promo that we have goes to use for some of your followers. I wish you a lot of luck uh, with the um, your doing, upcoming podcasts and everything that you're doing. I hope to see you soon at an event. Wouldn't that be nice?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it would. Um, and and I don't, I don't know if I said something. No, I, I had a conversation with someone earlier. He's like, man, are you going to be at this event? I'm not. Uh, so, you know, full disclosure, my, uh, my stepfather in law has esophageal cancer stage four. So all of our vacation ideas and plans are pretty much because I mean, let's be honest it's going to happen and we just don't know when because um, treatment's not going as, as well as we'd hoped. So <sighs> really nice guy too. Um, so it makes me sad, but um, so there's always next year. I'm a, I'm a Cleveland person. So I'm used to saying that. Wow. Oh, wow.
1: But look, <laughs> you and your family the best. I really hope that everybody is staying healthy and staying safe um and thanks for having me on again i'm excited about the stuff that we're releasing soon uh synchro announcements i am announcement lots of other stuff coming but uh you know most important thing you put all that aside there's a lot of uh there's a lot of reinforcement needs to happen right now to tell people to keep their minds healthy and you know be well and and enjoy people and get some normalcy in their lives so i just want to wish everybody to stay well
0: absolutely Well, thanks, everyone, for coming to the uh, podcast episode today. And for those of you that watch in the future, thank you. Uh, Tomorrow, like I said, we're going to talk about passwordless logins with cloudplus.net. They're going to be there. And then I also have another one tomorrow, uh, later on in the day. So feel free to come look for that one, too. Um, So, yeah, take care, everybody. You all have yourselves a good one.